So welcome back to Here to Make It Queer. I am incredibly lucky to have not one, not two, but three incredible guests on the podcast this week. I'm joined by Manchester's Cheddar Gorgeous, Licorice Black and Anaphylactic. Can you introduce yourself, Cheddar? Oh, doing that order. Um, hello, I'm Cheddar Gorgeous. You want me to say something about myself? If you don't mind. Well, what on earth should I say about myself? Hello, I'm Cheddar Gorgeous. I'm a, a drag queen, a cultural icon, and provocateur. That's everyone else's Humble. Gym, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Licorice, can you introduce yourself as well, please? Hello, I am Licorice Black. I'm the monocone queen of the UK, and um, I'm just absolutely fabulously happy to be here. <laughs> In general. <laughs> and then Anna, same question. Hello, I'm Anaphylactic. I'm a drag queen um, and I'm speaking to you live from Lockdown London. Woo! How have each of you been coping? <laughs> How's everyone been coping in the third lockdown? Um, I don't, should, I, should I go first? Because I've started to talk. Go on. <laughs> Go on. Okay. Uh, sorry, I just took the floor. Um, I, I think this time it's probably a bit more difficult than the first time. Like the first time I was like, oh, it's quite nice to have a bit of time to myself and not be rushing around and being a bit bonkers. But this time it was kind of like, oh God, here we go again, kind of thing. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I, I think at first I was kind of like, oh, like what am I going to do this time? Because I'm kind of stuck in London. I'm not haven't got those kind of connections that I did in, in the first time where I was able to kind of go to the studio or kind of meet people that I, I know in the park and, and stuff. But luckily I've been kind of locked down with uh, Florencia, who's really lovely and, and Holly to start off with. So um, I kind of had them to, to bounce off creatively and uh, I've been kind of brushing up on my kind of wig styling skills and uh, trying to give my like <laughs> trying to give myself like little tasks and things so kind of been making lists for myself of uh, of things to do but then also not being too hard on myself if I don't complete everything that I've put on the list uh, so I'm not kind of being too harsh with myself and just seeing where my days take me really I think that's the best yeah. way like yeah. <laughs> sorry Oh, I was just gonna say yeah I totally agree with Anna like it's that trying to find that balance of keeping yourself occupied with creative tasks um but also not not being too harsh on yourself because you know it's it's a struggle to keep motivated and keep going when there's no end goal you know if we had like an end goal then you could at least work towards it but it feels like you're just working towards this you know infinity um, you know, when, whenever we'll be able to even show anyone any of the stuff that we work on and things like that. And I think you guys and like you're holding it together so well. I feel like I am losing it. This one, this one around, like I, the, the first one, I just, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was, it, it was sad and I was confused and I was really lonely, but like, I felt like I had that, like you were saying purpose, this one, each just floored me. I'm over it. And I don't know whether it's a, a general long fatigue of, of literally feeling like this slow pull. Cause I feel like I was quite enthusiastic in the first one, even though I felt like quite sad some days. Um, whereas this one, I'm all over the place. I've I like totally have, I've lost my mind a bit. Um, 
And I, I, I think it is just that weird, like you say, Lucas, the idea that it's going nowhere, but also it's lost a, um, even though we all know the purpose behind it, don't we? We know that it's very, very important. There's a reason why we're doing this. Um, it really does feel like it has lost a trajectory. And also it feels like we shouldn't be here. And it, it feels like uh, the, uh, it's mixed up for me with the isolation, confusion is mixed up with an anger, this kind of like real bubbling frustration and anger that I've got to the way certain things have been handled, um, shit loads of other stuff. So yeah, I, I feel like fragile some days. Um, it, I'm very up and down. So I don't know, how are you guys holding it together so well? I, well, I, th I think at first I, I kind of had like a similar thing to you because everything kind of happened really quickly. And we were obviously like into getting into the run of doing a, a, a West End show. And then literally in a day, it was like, no, you're not. And actually in my head, I had the after Christmas, you know, when there was the kind of madness of everyone can travel the breadth of the country and go and meet family and do stuff, which I always thought was you know bonkers anyway but you know I had in my head that after Christmas we were gonna go into lockdown I think everyone on on production and in any production had that in their head that was going to happen after this kind of idea that everyone can mix for five days and nothing's going to happen um but then for it to all happen like within a day uh, and everything to be kind of taken away from you like that did kind of go like oh great, no, we're back here, and why are we back here? And then I, I did kind of have that, that kind of anger, that kind of, that thing where it was like, what, why is it being handled so badly? And then especially when you find out that, you know, the, the thing that they knew about this new variant and stuff in September, but then they were still kind of going ahead with everything and, you know, letting this Christmas idea happen and stuff. It, why are we still in this situation now? So uh, I think initially I did kind of have that cheddar, but then I've kind of gone, well, actually everything's kind of out of our hands anyway. So I'm going to throw myself into these creative projects and, and try and keep myself occupied as best I can and just stay in the flat and pretend what's going on out there isn't happening. So I think losing yourself in creative things and, you know, like it, it can be quite calming and therapeutic and uh, all of a sudden you've, you've lost another day <laughs> making stuff and uh, and then it's a, you know another day to get up and do the same thing again you know what I mean so because yeah. I sort of feel like it's been a a down and up and then a down again you know the first one just general confusion wasn't it um but then I managed to get a job when I was working throughout it and then the second one I was at uni so nothing changed for me I, I was still going to work I was still doing my online classes and then this one I feel like I should have a purpose because I've got my assessments and things like that to be working on. But at the same time, I feel the exact same way as you, Cheddar. It's, it's the frustration of, I can't go live with my flatmates again until God knows when. Yes, I'm, like, I'm very lucky to be at home, but it's, you do feel that, it's like an anger. as like, why are we here again for the third time? I'm totally unmotivated. Like, I, I honestly can't, and like, I hear what you're saying, Anna, about throwing yourself into creative tasks. But I feel so, like, I feel really like the stuff that I do has no meaning whatsoever. And I know that, that that's totally about me, right? That's totally about kind of where I'm at with it. Um, 
yeah but I think I mean a lot of my concern is, is to do with money as well you know what I mean I have I have a lot of stuff going on where you're trying it feels like you're trying to find work you're trying to diversify in different ways you can um I mean I I, I didn't receive any um any support or anything because of a situation with uh I, I gave up my my PAYE job in 2019 and so on the tax records, even though I've always paid tax, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, they don't recognize me as full-time self-employed, even though I am now. So you ended, I ended up getting denied or support. So it, just, it feels like there's in a little bit of another layer that's about like, oh, shit, shit. But it, I know that you guys will also be experiencing that feeling of stasis um, that the career isn't necessarily progressing, your life isn't progressing. But maybe that's just something we have to surrender. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 with you, Cheddar, there's the, I, I think we're not all coming from the same place, are we? And I think uh, I'm certainly in a more privileged position where I can kind of throw myself into, do, do you know what I mean? Like, but, uh, and licorice as well, like we're, we're both in receipt of a size grant and lots of people like yourself have kind of fallen through the cracks and not been able to benefit from that. So like, I think, um, you know, not everyone can just kind of relax and go, oh, well, this is how we are. Like a lot of people are needing to find work, needing to, to do that. And I think mental health as well, like that's something that's not really been thought about. So like, I think the way you're feeling now is very different to how I'm coping with it because I, in a sense, I'm being kind of looked after by the government uh, and I don't feel like you are. I mean, the reason why I feel it's probably more about mental health than it is about the, the kind of practical things. And I think the way the two interact are really interesting because actually you say you're, you're, you're privileged. I'm also very privileged. Do you know what I mean? There are absolutely people who are in far worse positions. Like I'm quite like, I mean, I, 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 I'm not having to worry about where I'm living I'm not having, you know, I do have some work coming in. I do have bits and bob coming in. It's, it's, it's hard work, but there are other people who are, are way worse off. So I think it's far more about all of the weird stuff around that to do with isolation and how that affects your ability to rationalize and cope. Because rationally, I'm fine. Do you know what I mean? I am good. Like, uh, I'm all, I've always been quite sensible with stuff. I don't lead a very expensive life. I think it just it has screwed the way that I'm I'm seeing reality an awful lot. Licorice, what's your take? Because I know that you're also struggling work-wise. Uh, yeah, it's it's um I, I can't remember who said it, but um it's that sort of thing of you know two step forwards and then like four steps back. It's a bit like snakes and ladders, like you know you're like oh making a bit way up and then like nope straight back down right back to the beginning of the year like I feel like 2020 just didn't happen it's just this weird year of no progression and there's not been much to happen like um I think what may be a thing that me and Anna are in a different position to you Cheddar is that we're in different places to where we were in the first so like obviously like Anna's in London this time so it's at least a different environment maybe a more maybe a tighter environment so probably not as good but a different environment nonetheless and like I moved house during the first lockdown I was with my parents and then this lockdown like I'm, I'm have my own place and like my sister's with me 
but whereas you're on your own cheddar, like you live by yourself. So I think definitely people's environments is affecting how they live. Like I know that our lifestyles, like in the city is very much that we don't really spend that much time at home. We spend a lot of our time, you know, in the studio working, you know, I know Anna's like practically works every day of, <laughs> that is possible. Um, we're, you know, in the city, we do meetings, we yeah, go for lunches you. with friends, you know, yeah. we, it's, you know, we never sit still really. So it's this having to sit still and having to actually sit there and think about stuff. And then sometimes that can be where your mind's running away with itself. And, you know, with all the craziness that's happening with things with the government, not noticing, you know, not telling the public that they know about stuff when they knew, you know, and the same thing happened at the start of COVID where they knew about things, but didn't tell us and they didn't act upon it. And they're only just putting in a travel ban, like we're 10 months down the line. How is it only just happened? It's all that kind of stuff that is confusing and you're going like, why did we notice this stuff and you're not acting upon it when you're the people who are meant to protect us? And I can imagine how that would be like messing people's heads up and, you know, because you can't make logic of it. You can't put things down in a rational place. If I, I, think, I think you highlight something that's really, really important about, particularly about us, not that it's all about us girls, but we, we are people who buzz off the presence of other people. And so even like, so for me, when I'm working by myself, I'm not sat in my flat working by myself. I go to a cafe and I'll sit and I'll work by myself and I will so be surrounded constantly by the energy of people, which as, as, dra as drag queens and performers, we are constantly feeding on like vampires. <laughs> yeah. Give us the joy, give us the energy, give us the movement. Um, and I, I really feel that there's, there's something, whether you see it as spiritual or electromagnetic or something that's just social in the way that you recognize other people around you and social things happening around you. There is something that my brain physically needs that if it does not get, I go loopy. And so, and we'll call it attention, but I mean, it's not, <laughs> <laughs> it's not just about that, but I think there is something in that, right? Yeah, I think you're a bit like, um, you know, you say in the, the 60s or whatever, whenever it was, you'll remember it, Anna. Um, in the, <laughs> I never um, remember where, anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when they used to have like bears in zoos and things like that, and they'd pace because they're not, yeah. they, they're not designed to be kept in such a confined space. And that's you, Cheddar, you are that polar bear that is- And don't try and make this just about me. And number one, that bear's being watched. So that bear is getting much more than I am right now. At least it's got an audience. But yeah. like, you you love an audience <laughs> just as much as anybody else, Licorice Black. I think that's a good oh, yeah. point. Yeah, I, you know, I love having a few, a few sherries and holding court and just being daft, that sort of thing. <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's friends that like, some of my really close friends, I haven't seen for a year. I haven't seen since last Christmas and I find that really scary and bizarre like there's certain people in your life that you know you just kind of you accept as, as, you know you'll only see them every you know couple of years or whatever and that's fine but it's those like close core people that you're like wow I haven't even seen you and you only live a mile down the road but because of the way that the world's working at the moment you just can't that's bizarre 
Because you bring up a good point, Cheddar, about the like the energy and relying on other people to sort of be around. Because I find I'm sort of the same way. Like I'll walk into when I'm at uni, I'll walk into Leeds, find somewhere to work. Um, but my here you're going from bedroom to the kitchen table, like, and you're seeing the same two people all the time. And it is that sort of just being around people makes it makes you feel good. And especially like all three of you and your jobs is being around people. So it must be drastically different. But you yesterday on your live, you you mentioned um, about how going in, you'd go out and you'd eat something while you're working, which I thought was a really interesting point because I find I'm the same way. If I'm not leaving the house, I forget to eat. And then I wonder why I'm sleeping for 12 hours and have no energy the next day. And then it's like, well, wait a second, you had one meal. Well, it's, it, for me, it's, also, it's a recurring pattern from my adolescence. And so... One, that's the other peculiar thing that I've noticed happening for me is that things that are coming up for me that haven't, that haven't been a major problem since my adolescence and eating was, was a huge issue. And it would, um, so my, my not eating very much was um, perpetuated by the, the veil of absent-mindedness. So I, I didn't eat, not because I've got an eating disorder, I didn't eat because I forgot, right? Which is, is part of that entire mechanism of how you end up continuing that horrible, harmful dynamic to your body. And so that's one of the things I've noticed. That if I, I, I'm no longer in those routines, but also the emotional state that I had when I was an adolescent, they're recurring again now. So it, it is very, it's interesting in that respect, but it's not particularly pleasant. <laughs> no, it's not the ideal but I think in some ways it's brought people together in terms of like digital like social media and there was all those digital shows at the beginning of um the pandemic I mean obviously you think of queer spaces you think of clubs and queer venues but there's also queer bookshops and queer cafes and things which have been open through bits of it and I think social media has become one big queer space do you agree that that's sort of opened oh, I it up? Well, <laughs> I mean, lots of people are doing lots more live things. And I think it's great that people are connecting on social media and stuff. But for me, I found myself, especially in times like now when we're being quarantined and, um, you know, you're very like this, that I've kind of taken a bit of a distance from doing the kind of performative thing because I literally don't get anything from it. And I think... What Cheddar was saying before about kind of the energy and kind of having people in the same room, like there's something about the relationship between a performer and an audience and you do, you kind of feed off that and there's a, there's a thing that I enjoy about that. That's why I, that's why I perform. That's why I like being on a stage. Uh, so for me, all of that stuff, like trying to perform a number live on a computer, I don't really get that connection and people can send all the hearts they want and comments that they want but there's not that thing there so for me creatively I've, I mean you might have noticed my beard I haven't really kind of been doing drag in in that way but I've been kind of working on things that I can do by myself and kind of channel that creativity into styling a wig or making little cakes I've been, <laughs> I've been kind of spending this week kind of like making cakes and like sweets and things out of this clay stuff that I've uh, kind of uh, discovered that I really like kind of making stuff so it's become more insular for me because I'm not kind of having that that connection and that thing that I enjoy about 
about drag. Yeah. Sorry, I've just gabbled at you. <laughs> you know, it's physical like that. You know, the, you know the, um, they've done tests around Zoom and it's to do with, it's a pheromonal thing apparently where you, it's like a callback response pheromone that you put out. When you're having a social interaction, you, you put it out for want of a better word and you get a, an, an, a reaction back from somebody else which then clicks something else in your brain. There's a real kind of callback response with lit the literal proximity to smelling other people. And then when you're on Zoom, you get the illusion of it. So right now we're all putting out, as it were, and yet we're not, we're not getting it back, as it no. were. It ends, up, it ends up being quite exhausting, which is why people talk about how tiring meetings are on Zoom. So when everyone first started it, they were like, yeah, this is great. And then like two weeks in, they were like, oh my God, I'm knackered. I'm yeah it's a bit of an anticlimactic um thing to have a zoom meeting <laughs> whereas you you don't it's not the same it's you know it's like a diet version of something it's not the same as the full fat you know full fat coke or whatever it's it's you know you want the real thing oh oops, it's appeared um raided what were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about putting it out and getting it back. Oh, putting it out. Okay. Yeah, I've definitely yeah, not done that. that. Um, no, none of that. Um, um, I've lost my train of thought. That's all it takes to get me to be distracted these days, is just a little icon to occur. Is it? Well, that just scared the life out of me because I forgot to upgrade it and then it's just popped up and said it's done it this time on its own so that's a bonus what's that is that just like zoom is that like zoom you have to like have a fancy one or something yeah you need like a, if there's more than three people after 40 minutes it normally cuts out and so uh, i was meant to upgrade it this morning and i completely forgot but it's just popped up and said it's done it so the universe is looking out yay for us oh today but it's with that like zoom fatigue it's almost like when you're on it right now you're feeling it and then it, I find it's when you click like the leave meeting at the end and you go back to being in a room on your own like that's when it sort of hits yeah it's very yeah. clear cut it's, it's I suppose it's something like I know saying about um, the theatre you know you kind of if you go to the theatre it's usually something you do with somebody else and you know, you kind of have the buzz of the, the beginning of the show, you know, everyone's like, and then it's like the show starts and you, you have the whole, you know, interaction of him and when people laugh or clap or whatever at the same time. And then, you know, at the end of the show, you leave and you, you talk about it and you kind of, you kind of process everything that has just happened. Whereas when you're on your own, having a conversation or something, you don't have that then processing. It's just like, like you said, it's just like, right, and that's, it feels like it doesn't matter. And ret returning that back to the point you, you were making, Adam, about the idea that the entire internet has become a queer space. No, it's not. Our internal network within the internet has become a queer space. And the issue with that is that we all move indoors. We actually, as an outward visible force, as visible queerness is reduced. And everybody else, all those people who might be homophobic or transphobic or racist, are also operating on their own internal networks. And to make it worse, those internal networks are owned by large companies which are constantly profiting on the sale of our attention. So whilst I think 
the internet can be a really beautiful and wonderful place for making queer connections. In the long term, I think it's not nourishing um, and actually could potentially be very detrimental to our visibility. I think it's, I guess from like my perspective, it's I log on to my Instagram and it's all very, it, it for me visually, it's a queer space, but I, I get what you're saying that to someone else, it's not into from in general, it's not. See the problem. It means that when you log on to Instagram, you have no connection to the idea that there's a bunch of other people logging yeah. on into Instagram who are currently posting homophobic content. Yeah, and it blocks it out. And I think that's a, it's dangerous for like the young, like 10, 12 year olds who are on social media who are seeing it as a beautiful, positive place, but then it is, there's that hidden darkness that they're not exposed to. That's how Brexit I think the thing is, have you ever watched that thing on Netflix? Uh, what's that, that programme? Social Dilemma. Yeah, I mean, what's scary is everyone's just kind of getting targeted in different ways. So, like, the thing with, like, elections and things, you're, you're just seeing certain things on your feed constantly. So, like, I was surprised that there was, like, that many people out there that would vote in a certain way. And it's because I'm only seeing certain things on my feed, whereas other people are seeing other things on their feed and feel completely justified in their points of view and how they feel about things because of what they're seeing. Who's in the lab with you? I just saw a little tongue poke out your face. Uh, it's just Rudy. I didn't want to disturb ah. you. Because uh, I think it's, in like looking at the positive part of it, I do think like the really young generation can sort of be given the tools they need to articulate how they're feeling and how they're identifying, which I think can be one positive of it sort of being sectioned is that they can log on and they can hear terms like gender dysphoria or non-binary and they can feel oh I identify with that that's how I feel but I didn't have the words to use if you know what I mean I agree it is definitely, yeah oh, sorry Liquish you go ahead no you, you first <laughs> I agree but the issue is that you are teaching one set of young people one set of language and understanding of their way of being and giving them an expectation of how the world will treat them. And then they're gonna go out into the world and the world is not gonna to conform to that expectation. And you have the equal thing happening on the other side. And that's how, how ultimately our separations and creating of our safe spaces, whilst it feels wonderful, whilst it is the sugar pill, um, ultimately it's gonna end up creating that polarization in people's views and particularly around identity politics. But I mean, that's, that's a little bit out of the, it's, it's a little bit bigger than just talking about the mental health implication of it. Because I think it's about looking at immediately, they can be sources of comfort, yet in the long term, they can be sources of great discomfort that could have very serious implications. Yeah, um, I think agreeing with like Cheddar on that point is I'm seeing a lot of um, sort of like new new queer people on the scene and stuff, and I've seen a lot of them are having a lot of mental, very outwardly mental health issues, and I don't know if that's just that they're more comfortable showing their mental health issues or if more mental health issues are being caused by you know the society that's like been created around the internet and things because. You know, um, we could say someone like um, Banksy, who, who um, her generation's age, they've only ever known having the internet completely. You know, the internet probably kind of came into my life, me kind of really engaging with it when I was like about 13, probably. Before that, it, it was just there, but not something you'd 
use. So, but whereas now we've got literally like my little nieces and nephews who are like five-year-olds who have all they've ever known is interaction with the internet and how, you know, this solitary mindset of, you know, looking with almost blinkers on, you know, at a computer screen. And I think, like you said, there is there's two sides to the coin. There is the greatness of seeing your tribe out there. And if you're in a small town, you can see that there is a bigger world out there and stuff. But then there is the flip side of, you know, that you then get blinkered to only seeing that view of the world. And, you know, you're not actually kind of seeing every everyone else's perspective and, you know, vice versa. I mean, how do you think we, like, as a community can sort of bridge that gap? Because I do feel like, as Cheddar said, like, the polarisation of it, I think the effort needs to come from both sides. Would you agree? I think the issue becomes about teaching resilience and, and giving people honest expectations of the world. But I think the problem is, and that would if you like, in a traditional view of the idea of queer families, that would come from the older generation. But I think the issue is that this is not something that's about young and old. This is something about all people at the moment. This isn't like an older queer can teach you a, uh, a different expectation or the, the expectation of the world. They can tell you how life was for them. So my, my life taught me resilience. And I think you need resilience as a queer person because ultimately whilst your, your echo chamber in your sphere might be saying that change has happened in the world, you're gonna encounter a lot of people in this world who are gonna consider aspects of your life morally disturbing, repugnant, and, and evil. And, and that is something you will have to face as a queer person. Um, but we're all in that same echo chamber. So me as an adult, I'm in that echo chamber. Me as a person who grew up knowing that I'm in an echo chamber. And it's very comforting to embrace that idea that the world changed and I don't think it did. And maybe that's a sin. Maybe that's my cynicism going mad head. <laughs> but I think I was always that anyway. How do you mean? How do you mean the world changed? How do you the, mean the notion what, that this idea you that mean with COVID? No, I mean in general, like with social media, and the idea of the okay. uh, the enlightened view of people in terms of gender and sexuality. You know. Yeah, I think I'm. We're probably either end of the spectrum. I think I'm overly optimistic because you know I'm. Oh, that's good, though. I'm still 18, like a little baby gay, so... Aww. Um, the world hasn't crushed you yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had a bit of a... Um, I had a bit of a, like, a crisis of, like, just my mind, like, last, really late last night, like, and I said, stayed up till 4am. And I realised I'm 30 next year. And I had, had like a mini little like, oh, oh my You're God. You're 30? Like, what? Next year, next oh, year, yeah. How does that make us cheddar? <laughs> yeah. I want to I wanna talk about, on your, on your, on your talking about the, the hope idea, Adam, like I also have to couch my, my pessimism and say, absolutely there are aspects of the world that has changed, you know, and there are, in that middle ground, so when it comes to your legal freedom, the fact that I've seen, I see men walking hand in hand and women walking hand in hand all the time down the street, that didn't happen when it was younger. So yes, there are definitely aspects of the world that has changed and that can't be denied. What I don't think has changed is the extreme attitudes. And in fact, actually, I think those people who, who always had the extreme attitudes, their attitudes possibly have been, become more entrenched by that effect. 
right? So I think, yes, there, and I shouldn't be so cynical, I'm sorry, like, that that came across so doomsayerish. Um, but the world has changed, but there is still an element to be wary of. And I think we don't, we don't think about that enough. You think the people who have the most radical views seem more radical now because there's such a concentrated amount of people, whereas there was a lot of generalization before on people's attitudes to things, you know, like um, sexuality and genders and things like that, that, that because there's been a bit more acceptance that anyone who has that negative view has, is, is heightened because they seem to be in a, minor, like a minority now. Yeah, I do feel like there's still a lot of, if you don't, sort of the, like, if you don't shove it in my face, I'm not going to say anything. I, for lack of better words, it's like the, sort of, not like necessarily the really old, or sort of like the mid, like, sort of, I guess, like my parents' generation of, okay, you could do that over there, but if you start waving a flag in my face, that's when I'm going to take issue with it. That's the difference between acceptance and tolerance. Yeah. You know, there's, there's still an element of just tolerating somebody's life and who they are, whereas it's it's almost like um, a false sense of security because you think, oh, and it's like, no, they're just tolerating because yeah. society is forcing them to tolerate rather than actually embracing and accepting people. Which is that where I suppose they could go more radicalised to their opinions. Yeah, I feel some people are probably feeling like they're backed into a corner. I think that's, you're seeing a lot of things in America and stuff like that, where people feel because someone else is getting an equaler right to them, they feel like their rights are diminishing and they feel like they're getting backed into a corner of, you know, we can't do anything anymore. And that isn't the case. It's more about creating a level playing field. I think that's to do with everything across the board, you know, things to do with like, you know, gender and sexuality, race, you know, every, everything on board. It's all about equalization rather than somebody having more than others. But people then feel that they're having something taken away when it's a myth. It's a myth that's been built up by the far, you know, one way or the other. We, we also like to see <laughs> I'm not very good with words. <laughs> words also... came out of your mouth. It was okay. Thank you. <laughs> Probably all wrong, but... We, we like to see the world as on a trajectory of going up towards progress. And the truth is the world never really exists like that. There's lots of different things constantly. It's a little bit of a mashup. And anything that we have gained, and I always say this, anything that we can gain could potentially be taken away. And I think the big example of that is that we, we had a massive push when it comes to trans rights and trans recognition. And obviously that's kind of hit a cap in some respects in some people's minds and certain probably in the mainstream minds as well right so whilst for homosexuality i think people at the moment in the mainstream are, are very accepting celebrating even they can get behind it especially when now that we can all get married and have kids and be normal just like everyone else right but actually i think a lot of people hit a barrier when it comes to the idea of gender transition and if you look at the, the recent moves to prevent hormone blockers um which is which is proven by research to prevent suicide um, in, in kids who present as trans. Um, so that, in, in the very least, should be a good motivation for that. So that's been backtracked on. So I think we, we, are, we are always at risk of losing what we gain. And, but I am conscious we've moved off the topic of mental health, maybe. I'm just, I'm ranting. 
But I think like these are conversations that need to be had and that's sort of, like that's why I wanted to start this podcast because from an outside perspective I think well I know like with my family when I told them I was I was like interviewing drag queens and queer artists they were like well what do they have to say on this like well I think what a lot of people don't understand is you take off the wig you take off you're still a person and you've had an entire life that you've lived with your drag persona and without and everyone's had these shared experiences which I think need to be talked about and need to be discussed like I we veered slightly off but I think it was still useful to sort of like um weave us back onto mental health a little bit how would you sort of describe the relationship between the arts and then your personal mental health uh, oh god I'll start we all just look at each other like looking manically around Zoom. Um, yeah, I like to fill this out a little so I'll start. Um, uh, so the, the link between mental health and art, did you say? Yeah, for you personally. Yeah. Well, I, th- I, I, think, uh, well, I think most people during this pandemic and this lockdown have kind of turned to the arts for, for, for something. So most people have been watching Netflix. Most people have been listening to music. I think most people in times like this will look to to be entertained will look towards some form of art to keep themselves sane I'm, I, I I've always been quite creative and I've always been quite artsy and I think um like Ch- Cheddar was saying that she kind of reverted to a, a kind of t- teenage kind of thing but I, I found myself being a bit more like when I was about eight I I, I was always one of those kids like you know if all the other kids on the street were playing football that wasn't for me I've always been quite okay with my own company so I'd take myself off do art projects go and collect stones and paint stones with nail polish and and whatever you know I've always been able to do that and I think that's something that I kind of developed from an early age and something that I've taken through my entire life probably because you know I'm always at the studio when I've got nothing else to do creating and doing things so it's kind of much the same pattern but you know I'm being forced into it now <laughs> so like life's gone oh you've got to do this now so it's it's a thing that I've, I've constantly used to help with my own mental health and and uh, uh, and having that kind of isolation being being separate I suppose do you think part of it is? <laughs> sorry, do you think part of it is seeing like the final product at the end of what you've created, saying if you have a day where you think you haven't done anything, and then you can look and be like, "No, I did. Like, I made this." Yeah, and also it's a way of kind of, um, kind of getting into your imagination and losing yourself in a thing, and having a process and and making something and experimenting and and stuff it kind of takes you somewhere else doesn't it so you're you're not just kind of mindfulness do you know if you ever heard ruby wax talk about mindfulness you know i haven't fixating on a physical sensation or fixating on a physical you know it's meditative 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 (laughs) meditative and you sort of feel that when you're cre- like when you're creating, do you go almost go into like that meditative state uh, of like escape? I, I don't kind of zone. I don't zone out, but it's it's good to have. 
<laughs> I think Ched is saying that I do. Oh, um, <laughs> um, oh I'm at peace. Um, no, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just kind of, you, you do kind of lose yourself and you lose how, so time becomes different and it feels like you, like you haven't been stuck there for three days doing it. It feels like something that you've invested in. It kind of goes quite quickly, I think. So, um, yeah, I've, I've kind of, I've, I've just spent like probably about two weeks kind of making cakes and sweets and things out of clay and painting them up and, and glossing them with varnish and things. And it hasn't felt like I've been doing it that long, but I've obviously spent a lot of time doing it and enjoyed it as well. So it's not for everyone, but it certainly has helped me. <laughs> I, think, I think it's a very different pace of life to what we're used to in the sense of the, you know, like usually like Anna would be creating something and don't know you've done it before where it's been a Saturday night, she has a gig at midnight and gets in at six and is like, right, what shall I wear? What shall I create? And is used to that fast paceness of just being like, grab, go, you know. So there is something quite nice about her slowing down a bit and actually just being able to just like tinker with something, you know, to that la 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 la, you know, dead, um, a bit more easygoing. And there is a niceness to doing that. Like I've been able to like go through things in my wardrobe and find things that needed fixing and, you know, like, you know, even just like pairing up my gloves, you know, <laughs> really small mundane tasks, but it's actually refreshing to be able to do because usually we can't we can't do that we can't have that um because you'd have to take every moment as as quick as possible and you have to be like right today i've got all this to do and it has to be done today because tomorrow there's a new thing but tomorrow there isn't a new thing tomorrow it's just the same again so we all had to learn to slow down and i know you're definitely one as well cheddar because you mm. there's never a moment in the day that isn't filled with some job some email, some phone conversation. So having, and I, I know that it's probably been a struggle for you. Oh, I struggle when with things stopping, which is absolutely why I'm probably stressed, right? So I, I struggle, I like, I'm spending my time picking up plates, like going, what else can I grab? Give me something else to do. You struggle sometimes to switch off, I feel. God, I don't even know, I don't even have an off button. Like just to sit and relax is, and is like a stressful. Absolute hell. <laughs> like, I, I my, my switch off, and I realized, I've realized this, my switch off, right, because obviously I've got, I've got an Xbox, and what I realized was, oh, yeah, and, that, and that's it, like, I'm switching off, I'm going to put on my Xbox and play, play a computer game. Of course, I'm playing a game that's about surviving the apocalypse. So I'm absolutely <laughs> not switching off at any point. I have switched into survival mode, except this time I'm genuinely fighting mutants and people who want to steal my water. That's yeah, what. I did that. I've, I've trapped myself to a VR machine. I'm not normally a gamer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's kind of been a big help as well. And I, I saw it on the news, actually. Like, a lot of people have invested in these VR machines, so it's really taken off. And I think there's something about... Um, it, it's actually amazing because it, it takes you into a new environment and takes you somewhere else. And you can actually connect with people in that way, but in a kind of almost, it feels like you're in the same room as someone. You can pass Are you shagging people on VR, Anna? 
Uh, you can't do it yet, but I feel like that's the way it's going to go. Like, because um, uh, I don't know if you watch Black Mirror, but there's a whole episode where it's like a fighting game and they can feel the sensations, yeah. but then it gets really sexual. And I think it's probably going to go that way. Like, I'd, I'd be up for trying it. I, I mean, no one's touched <laughs> me for real in 19, since 1942. So um, <laughs> I'm up for shagging someone in VR. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, at least it's, it's covid safe it's, it's COVID, covid safe <laughs> you know you're not going to get anything um no it's, it's great fun I, I did actually get a walking dead game um but i've, I've not kind of gone on it to, i went on it i've used it about three times uh, and it kind of doesn't do my anxiety or anything any good like i come off and i'm like oh actually i don't feel good having done that i've just been eaten by a zombie and i've been trying to pummel his head with a um, with a glass bottle. Uh, <laughs> it that's, hasn't what, that's what I'm doing to relax on an evening. I'm like, right, no, no. right what gun am I going to use today? I'm going to go and kill those super mutants over there. Very good. I know. I if you'd like play this game, be like, die, die, die. And then just be like, okay, night, night. <laughs> What's a soothing uh, way to close your mind off? Get the kill yeah. count up. <laughs> I mean, so how do you get out of like an uncreative rut when you're, because obviously your jobs are all very creative and when, I guess it's a bit different, well, it's very different now, but in like a normal, when you've got gigs all throughout the week, you're constantly making, how do you get yourself out of that uncreative feeling? I, I Probably found... for me. Just keep delay. Delay, go ahead. I know, delays. Oh, I'll say it for a second. Uh, for me, is I just gave in to the whole situation and had this like zen like moment where I just felt, right, I can't do anything about it. The world is doing what it's doing. What can I just do to make my little bit of the world happen and push forward? So it was like I said, doing all those small jobs first, got that out of the way. It was like, okay, right now how can I feel created now? And it's just, just trying to set your own motivational patterns and going like, you know, okay, I'll maybe try and do this today. And that's how I motivate. But yeah, giving up and just not trying to block out the craziness and thinking about everything too much is my way of trying to keep creative because then I'm not thinking about, you know, all the big things and just focusing on something smaller. I I am... Um trying to find a and it's it's longer term for me so with with issues around anxiety and depression like i i try now to find a balance between patience and action and i think because sometimes what i don't give myself is space and time and like just to be able to go and also the awareness that when you feel really really bad and you have a really really bad day being able to draw upon the experience of knowing that that will pass the feeling will pass the feeling is a chemical thing it will pass and it will change but then also recognizing that sometimes by not taking action and by not challenging yourself you end up allowing that feeling to perpetuate so for me it's very much been trying to find that balance between allowing the adolescent if you like, to have their day in bed, which I'm very bad at, um, and then taking appropriate action to feel like I'm doing something that has a purpose and a meaning. 
because if I don't, I know that if I don't feel like I'm doing something that has a purpose and a meaning, I'll feel worse in two weeks time. And that's, I know that from experience. So this is, this is a continuation of that process, but it's just kind of couched in this really horrible context of not getting some of the things that I found nourishing and some of the things that were essential to both those processes. But I'm hoping that in the long term, it will lead me to feel more grounded and, and like good and okay, but not yet. <laughs> it hasn't yet. Do you feel like having work completed and done is like having evidence of the time? So like yeah. Anna with your um, little cakes and stuff, do you feel like at least having that is just some evidence to go, oh, time has passed and that is yeah. proof okay. of it? <laughs> I think that, that like, because every day I make myself a list of different things that I want to kind of start doing or, or kind of finish. So I've got various different jobs on the go. Um, but I'm also like, if I'm not feeling massively creative and stuff, I'm not too harsh on myself either, because I think we're all, you know, we're all going through a collective trauma at the moment. And I think we're going to kind of come out of it and kind of deal with all of that then so I think I'm, I'm not too hard on myself if I don't finish things or if I don't complete things that there is something about having having that list and having those tasks and and doing it and going oh ticking those things off and I, I've done all of those things and I get a nice feeling when I, when I have completed the things and eventually done the things but I'm not also not too hard on myself if I don't because you know I'm, I'm just kind of trying to to do things that I'm in, you know, I, I'm enjoying and keeping myself occupied and, and happy at the moment. And I think not, not everyone's going to come out of this and, you know, written a book or become the next Shakespeare or, because everyone keeps quoting that, don't they? Like Shakespeare did King Lear, um, you know, during a plague or, or whatever. And, and not everyone's going to come out and have done all of these amazing, wonderful, creative things. But for me, like, it's just a thing to keep myself sane, like doing the creative things and, and enjoying those things. But I'm also not too hard on myself if I can't finish those things. And I just want to watch Netflix or I just want to play on VR or if I just want to do whatever, because I think we've got to be kind to ourselves as well uh, during this. And, you know, it's a, it's a nice time to have a bit of a breather and, and go. We just got to do whatever you can do, Anna. You do, don't you? You do. You've got to do what you've got to do. I just got to do what you've got to do. <laughs> I was going to say, you just got to keep yourself entertained until they invent the VR um, sex package for you. Then, oh, then, <laughs> then, then no you worries. Won't, you won't see me for weeks, months. <laughs> I'll wear it out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have you plugged into the mains. That's it. Because <laughs> I do think so. Like Grace's vibrator. Grace has got a vibrator that she can plug into the mains. Really? Mm. Oh, wow. oh yeah, sometimes the lights flicker here at the middle. <laughs> <laughs> so do you find like having the studio in the drag lab helps you to sort of get motivation as well? Oh, oh my god, sure. yeah. yeah. I mean it was it was so nice after the first lockdown when we started coming out of lockdown, just having that kind of separate space to you, you know because it's almost like a prison isn't it if you're just in your flat all the time you're just in the same room so having like a different space and a different place where you can kind of connect to to other people sharing the space and 
and work on things with a, a complete godsend. I don't believe in God, but a, you know, a complete godsend. Um, like it's just amazing to have that different space and that creative space to to do stuff. Yeah, completely. You know, something that is, I think, really linked to like queerness and mental health in this time is the way that the way that that society closed up and the way that society has has desired us to reorganize has been very based around a, a very standard heterosexual cisgendered way of life and i think for, for there are many people who haven't really noticed um much difference in their day-to-day -day lives apart from the fact they can't go out for their weekly drink or their weekly weekly restaurant whatever it is that i don't know what do straight people do i don't know what they do but um you know apart from that they probably living within if you're living within a family environment your day-to-day -day life probably hasn't changed a huge amount whereas actually i think if you live a life that's contrary to the to to that norm and that's not just about queer people obviously but i think for a lot of queer people we do live a life that's contrary to that norm and if you're single you know what i mean like you are um literally all of the things that i would do for entertainment on a weekend i'm not allowed to do anymore um, and, I, and I think there is there is something to be said there for the way that the rules were shaped without us in mind, even down to if you look at other other countries, and if you look at Amsterdam, for example, if you look at the Netherlands, um, they had from the very beginning the idea of a fuck buddy. And it was called, the, the, I think the, the, literal the literal translation was like the, your sex friend. And I think that we did not have that and did not have provision for that. Or Anna's smiling and I'm like, no, this is important stuff. <laughs> no, like, no, I think it is. I, I'm just thinking I couldn't find one before the pandemic. <laughs> 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 oh, you'll dear. be assigned one, Anna. You'll be you're oh, like, right, right. Exactly. Right. Right. they didn't put that into action. But the fact <laughs> they didn't make provision for that just says how little other, other kinds of life were valued. Um, and particularly around mental health, we didn't have that brought in. In fact, there was there was one point in the British system where it was totally illegal to have sex as a single person, which is a peculiar thing to be in legislation and a thing that we probably should be quite scared of, let alone beyond its implications for our mental health. And I think that, like you said, it is the almost, I don't use the word alternative, but that's the only word that can come to mind, like alternative lifestyle of... Alternative, we get it, there's an, there isn't, we may not, we may not agree that one is normal per se, yeah. but there's certainly one that more people do. Yeah, and the sort of, the less trodden path of different hobbies and different um, ways you spend your time, I think is, I've never, I never thought about it like that, but when you look at like I spent the first lockdown at home with my parents. Second one was at uni. Third one, I'm at home again. Second one definitely stands out in the fact that I live with nine other people. So even it didn't feel isolated because I walk into the kitchen, you see two people in the morning, you see a different person in the afternoon, but you're allowed to because you live together and it's a weird like bubble situation. That's what I found with this third one. It's like I walk into the kitchen and like my mom's working from home or dad's working from home, but there's no one to just sit and talk to for a bit. Mm. Or there's no one to be like, do you want to pop to the shop or do you want to go grab a coffee? And just like, the, f I don't want to say the freedom, but just that ability to pick yourself up and 
do what you need to do. Because mm. I... That's... I didn't realise that um, Amsterdam had that. I'm going to read into that after this. That's yeah. Quite yeah. interesting. And, and I think what, what's interesting for me is, obviously, there comes a point where you have to prioritise the needs of the many, like sometimes. You know, there are those situations where you prioritise the needs of the many, and that's very, very important. So the fact that most people probably do live in a family structure can get behind that you would orientate legislation towards them. The issue comes when providing for others... Uh, is not detrimental to looking after the many and it doesn't take any additional effort yet it still isn't done and so when people were saying what about this to the British government and the British government simply weren't dealing with it that makes you realize how little your mental health is valued because they could have done something and it wouldn't have been a problem it would have been easy which is why I think it's so difficult to disconnect the the mental health issues that are manifesting because of isolation and because of the things that we have to do and that feeling of frustration and anger and how that contributes like for me i'm becoming that angry gay you know what i mean i'm becoming that guy that that person who just wants to be really angry about some stuff which is completely what twitter's for this is what i've decided i think twitter's like this garbage bin where you put all your your frustration and probably not good for the world um like any form of, of um jumping um, but it's, it, it, it is that weird mix of frustration and dealing with what we have to do because there is a sense of absolutely the things I'm doing. Like, I am all right with the fact that I'm not allowed to go to a nightclub. It's devastating for me. It's really important to me. It's like a really critically important thing to who I am. Um, but I understand it and I embrace it. And I am here for those necessary restrictions. The fact that there were other things that could have been provided for that I can see no logical reason to to put me through. That shit. The frustration, like you said, is the frustration at being um, ignored and things like that, um, and not being seen. But is that because is is our is how many queer people are there in our government? Like currently, like representation as as like um, parliament members, is there is there queer? I don't know. Yeah. Anyone there? Is there a few? There's a few. Fair enough then. None in the cabinet, I don't think, are there? Oh well, there we go. But no, but yeah, I mean, you get into tricky territory, I think, with representation, don't you? Because what percentage of the population are actually gay? You know. I do think, like you said, it feels like they haven't even looked out for it. And yet I was reading after your live yesterday, I was reading about the percentage of like queer people who have different eating disorders and different mental health issues. They're, it's disproportionately affected. I think, yeah, um, gay males are thought to be 5% of the male population. And yet out of men who have eating disorders, 42% of them are gay. And that's, I feel it's the same with, um, anxiety and depression things like that it's disproportionately represented but I think I mean the conversation around male mental health isn't even there yet let alone the conversation about queer mental health I think you will find a lot more straight men coming out with different kinds of eating disorders as we move forward because I think gay men maybe are a little bit more okay with the potential threat to the masculinity that it poses not all gay men some of them are right you know whatever queens 
but um, I think you'll, you'll find more straight men coming out about it, um, in, and in different ways, bulking, building, the, the pressure to maintain a certain kind of physique, the pressure to um, do steroids. You know, what I mean, that kind of that kind of thing is a real problem. But men don't see it as a problem; they see it as an extension of their masculine pride, the thing that makes them valuable, which is the same way, which is the same way um, you can think about being skinny is often, and for some gay men as well, but for a lot of women in the world, the notion of having to be skinny or having to now to having to have the perfect butt, they all link into the same bullshit. I mean, how do you think we can equip people to have these conversations? Do you think it's like a a government level where there needs to be some sort of like educating into schools, but then how do we get that toolkit to the older generation as well to be able to say, this is how I'm feeling, this is what I have? I think a massive, obviously a massive influence is things like social media. And I know it's obviously an easy thing to point a finger at and be like, it's that, you know, naughty social media and but things like influencers, there's a lot of um, a lot of things I've been like listening to, reading about like influencers and their um, projection of a fake lifestyle and a fake expectations that people should have. Um, you know, things like uh, doing faux images of before and afters. You know, you know where they kind of like some of them like do things, but they all breathe out, so it looks like that they've had a dramatic loss when they haven't. It's so it's, it's this people reading the world, and this goes back to us talking about ex- absorbing everything through the internet. It's people are seeing these these lives which aren't attainable, that aren't every day, because some of these people are earning their money from living this life, but that means that they can focus 100% on making sure that body looks how they want it to look, you know, um, getting to make their house look how they want it to look, you know, going on these holidays, which is hilarious that people are going on holidays and traveling the world right now and having big um, parties and beaches and stuff like that. You know, having these lifestyles that just aren't attainable, which is now that people are at home more, they're seeing a life that they can't have even more. And that's even more mentally messing people up because they're going like, look what I don't have, look what I could have, but I don't, I don't, but it, it's not attainable. It's not an everyday thing. It's not a normal, it's not normal. It's an, it's a very small percentage of the population who have that, that life, that body, you know? So it's, it's, it's mentally draining, I think, to a lot of people to see a lifestyle that they cannot attain because of money or time or just physicality. And like you said, I think you can look at a picture and think this is perfection, but this maybe this idea of what perfection is takes a trainer, a dietitian, four beauticians standing around the corner ready to go and pluck and tweak and move things. Um, and it's, it is unachievable, but do you think it's, you almost need like a reverse I think, it's what, I think it's what makes drag queens so special. And I think licor- licorice phrase is a really just an amazingly important point around the implication of, of mental health 
when it comes to looking at the ideal that's presented to us as the everyday, right? And one of the amazing things that makes drag more special than regular celebrities, if I may, girls, is that with a drag performer, it's written into what we do that there are two sides to what you will see. There is the perfection, which is facade. It may be profoundly real in many ways, but it, it's presented to you as you know this little bit of me, whilst it's an expression of my internal world and that's genuine, you know the stuff on the outside's fake. And you know that there's a version of me that when I, when I take this off, right? So written into the way that drag queens become, become celebrities and absolutely drag queens are becoming really, really famous now in certain, in certain circles. So written into that though is the understanding that what they're showing you, there's an element of creativity to it and there's an element, even when it looks like a perfect woman, um, you know that it's fake. And other celebrities don't have that. And I think as drag performers, we need to be really careful not to lose that because there is the temptation to start to convince people that we're the real deal and this is our everyday life, folks. Um, and you too could have this dream and all of that bullshit that we get constantly projected to us by celebrities. So appreciate the power of, of our fakeness. For want a better word. That's a really good segue to something I wanted to ask you about your TED talk, actually. Because you say, um, there's a line, I listened to it again last night, and there was a line that really struck me. Um, you said, I went to university for 10 years and it took three hours of makeup for you to listen to me. What do you think it is about drag that makes people stop and look and listen? Well, Anna and Licorice still don't listen to me, even after three hours of makeup. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I missed your question because I wasn't listening. What was the actual question? Um, <laughs> what is, so like, uh, what do you think it is about drag that makes people listen? Spectacle. Spectacle, like it's, it's classic spectacle. You make yourself larger than life. Um, you make yourself totally, um, I always describe it as taking the thing about you that you think people can't see and making it the only thing that they can see. Um, and it is classic razzmatazz showbiz strategy, isn't it? We like to look at shiny things. Our eyes move towards shiny things our eyes move to that which stands out from that which is around it. Um, so there's a lot of visual stuff that's happening there that makes drag incredibly powerful. But I think what makes drag more powerful is the way that that spectacle um, has a person-like quality to it. So you build relationships with people. People don't know me as Michael Atkins. People know me as Cheddar Gorgeous people have, have built a relationship with, with Cheddar Gorgeous. And it's in being enmeshed in those relationships where the art you produce can have more meaning and can have more implications for people. People are more likely to listen to it because you are both simultaneously the out there crazy thing that, that stands out and at the same time connected to their life. And do you think that's why queer people are so attracted to dragon? Why like seeing dragon? Things like I that. That's why, why everyone's kind of attracted to it at the moment. And so, how do you find that balance then? Because how do you look after both Michael and Cheddar? I have no clue. Guys? Uh, no, I, I don't know either. <laughs> when we, I don't know. It's, it is weird. Like, pe people know me more as Anna. In fact, people call me Anna 
instead of Daniel. So it's always kind of a bit of a, a weird thing when someone does actually use my boy name like Daniel because most people don't so it tends to just be kind of family members really that say Daniel and everyone else knows me as Anna so it's kind of weird having that balance and and now I guess like look I've got a full-on beard um I'm kind of embracing that that thing when I'm by myself but I you know w when I'm out there I'm known as Anna really so yeah it's kind of a bizarre thing I don't know I don't know who am I what am I <laughs> In the, in the spirit of going deep or going home, um, do you guys feel more loved in drag? I can relate to this, like the reason why I, I asked the question, and is that an issue? Yes and no. Yes, obviously you get a lot more love as your drag persona. Um, but at the same time, it's also kind of a bit faux. It's not ever, it's not the same as like a loving relationship, like a friendship, you know, like a very close friendship. It's not the same. Um, or, you know, a family, you know, in any form of the sense of the word, you know, a family that you formed or blood family, it's not the same kind of love. So it's, yes, you get a lot of attention love, where it's like, oh, you're fabulous, blah, 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 blah. But it's not it's not that connection it's not it's not the same as having that uh, intimate friendship or like you know a relationship connection that you would have with somebody yeah i think um i think what what i've learned to, through last year actually i was kind of going to therapy um and kind of talking about different things and kind of the sectioning off of parts of yourself so like anna is a very particular thing that I'm putting out there and a particular aspect of my personality that there's certain other things and certain other things within my life and parts of my life that people that only know me as Anna don't know those aspects as well so I think as, as gay people as queer people and things I think we, we do kind of section off different parts of our personalities and things and that that's a very clear separation in drag and, and in me but it's also just being aware of you know, all of those parts make up you. But yeah, there is, there is a thing about um, uh, with Anna, um, I don't think someone fully knows, knows you really. I mean, there's part of you, but it's not the whole picture, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Going back to the, like, the talking thing and people listening, a lot of people want to talk at you in drag. So, you know, I know that Anna can definitely agree to this as um, doing Aftershock and things, is that people just want to stand and talk to you and they want to tell you their problems. You become almost the reverse in, in um, therapy. Like, you know, people want to, they trust you. They kind of have that same, like, but you, but you yourself don't understand why that they want, they trust and they can tell you their deepest um you know, the deepest thoughts and feelings and stuff, yet you're kind of just stood there like, I'm just a silly person with like, you know, a thing on the head and, you know, a corset on and loads of makeup, you know. It's, there is something bizarre about what drag creates in this, this almost like, um, maybe it's because you, you aren't really, a, for want of a better way of saying it, a real person that there's no implication of them saying these things 
And there's something about saying something to somebody, almost like an inanimate object, getting something off your chest. I think, door. I think they're open doors. I think that, I think standing out in the way that we do is like an invitation. I mean, some, some drag queens like Tilly Screams, they're revolving doors. But I mean, <laughs> we are, we are, there is an openness to potential connection in standing out. And that could that connection can come in many ways because some people, it comes in animosity. So some people think it's absolutely fine to spit at you, right? Or absolutely fine to call you a fucking faggot. You know what I mean? So, but for many others, it's an opening to give and try and get back love. Yeah, I, th I think um, like, uh... For me, like w when I'm kind of hosting and things, like you become a kind of focal point. So you're you're the kind of club decor in a way, and people are attracted to you. Like you become a bit of a a kind of I don't know light or something flame. that yeah that that attracts kind of moths or whatever. Um, so people are kind of naturally attracted to you, and I do find that you kind of you ha have a kind of a bit of a confessional go in so people will kind of become your best friend and tell you all of these things that I don't know if they're sometimes they've even talked to their friends about and you're like oh my god you're very trusting why are you telling me why are you telling me all of this um but I think there is something to do with I don't know maybe I'm just a naturally good listener or I don't know I don't know there is, there is something about being being so out there and so visual that people do connect with you. And that can be on the flip side as well, where people want to touch you all the time <laughs> because you are so there. So people want to grab your wig or grab your eyelashes was a bizarre thing that someone tried to do. <laughs> like that, that was actually my face. She was like, I like your eyelashes. <laughs> oh. No, get off. Ah. Yeah, I've noticed though that you do have um, a listening to presence of poppers ratio when it <laughs> this is true you suddenly become a very good listener to anyone yeah. who might have poppers and be yeah. passing them around but only until they pass it to you <laughs> and then i switch out <laughs> well, no, not immediately not immediately you carry carry on talking carry on talking where's the hand going where's the hand going? <laughs> i don't know what you're implying carrot you have to dangle the carrot in front of the donkey to make them listen. Are you calling me a donkey? You read into my metaphor. <laughs> you want? <laughs> I mean, do you think it's like you admit, like the spectacle? Do you think people feel at comfort and they can tell you things because they see the bit of themselves in you that they can't get expressed? I've never often thought of people in that way. <laughs> I see the Morris moths coming slowly closer until they burn. Because <laughs> I guess sort of like from an outside perspective, because obviously I, I don't do drag, I'm just like someone who enjoys it and enjoys seeing it. For me, it's, there is an element of they are out there being their 100%. Although, it, although it's a spectacle and it's a facade, like you said, they're being their self. That is, I think it's the greatest form of self-expression. And like as a little queer baby it's gay, you can look. Yeah. Very, it's very literal. It's a very literal thing. They're literally being seen and being noticed. And that's, that I think for any queer person, is a really powerful idea, right? I think it's, again, the idea of being seen and just, it's like the, it was, we mentioned briefly the representation 
that is the most I think it's the most obvious form of queer representation you can go out to a queer venue and you can see these people who've made a career out of it and so you feel like you're that you can not necessarily the same like do drag as well but in the sense that you can you can make a career out of yourself and you can succeed as this fully realized queer individual but you don't, you can't, and I, th I think that's sometimes where people get confused about the fantasy though, right? So absolutely, they make, for all you know, they're, they're not being paid or they're working for £30 to be there. And so when it comes to the idea of how you might consider your own form of success or your own form of achievement in life or the kind of comfort that you want in life, actually we may have this delusion that I think things like RuPaul's Drag Race has given us that for everyone it's a viable career option you're going to be a star you're going to be a celebrity and you're going to be rich the truth is the majority of drag performers particularly now because there are more than ever they are not going to get that so I always say to people starting out if if you don't want to do this for the pleasure of doing it don't do it because whilst you may be lucky or have a particular exceptional talent or do that a lot of the time for a lot of people in, in all areas of show business, it doesn't work out, or at least doesn't work out in the, the fantasy way. Yeah, I, and that like it's fully, or in the way you would imagine it to, I suppose. But going briefly back to your question of, um, that you asked Anna Licorice of, do you feel more love in and out of drag? Do you think that's because people only see you in drag as Cheddar, do you think it's because they don't know the other side of you? I don't know what they'd like the other side of me. Maybe, maybe that's part of the, the part of weird, the weird insecurity in the complex that, that I think builds up. Um, maybe the only way I can get love is that way, you know? And I, th I think those are the kinds of things that build up and accrete over time and that can actually end up being the, the flip side, if you like, of doing drag too much um, and of getting a lot of regard. It is wonderful and it can build your confidence and it, if you can filter it through to your world. So there, there are other aspects of my life that drag undoubtedly has made me a stronger and better person. Um, standing up for myself, uh, talking about um, issues, being an advocate, being an ally, uh, being able to articulate myself, confidence. Love, I'm not sure on. Love, I think, is a tricky one. Because that's something else I wanted to ask you always. What had, how does doing drag affect your out of drag self? And like, what have you learned about yourself through your persona in that sense? Go on, go deep, girls. Go deep or Sorry. go home. Have I taken it's gone dead deep? No, is this? Uh, have I taken it? Hello, go for it. Come on. Repeat, repeat the question again, darling. Um. So, what have you, what have you learned about your out of drag self through your drag persona? Like, how has it changed you? Because I know, like Cheddar mentioned, self confidence and standing up for yourself. I'd, ag I'd agree with um, a lot of the sentiments like Cheds has said about, um, you know confidence in just you know being your own person and you know doing you know following your own paths and also just having confidence to even just talk up in a room you know, I'm still working on the art articulation 
Um, <laughs> that's my little stumbling block is um, learning to talk proper. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it changes how you are. You kind of don't feel, I think for me it was, I'm a lot less fearful of things. I'm a lot more fearless um, and a, a little bit less meek. And, you know, I kind of, well, I, I'm, I'm not afraid to kind of hold my own within a situation or, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, I'll say, you know, I'm not saying that I'll walk into a room and I'm like, hello, how are you? <laughs> Um, but it's more about not sitting back if you see an injustice or if you, you know, you kind of, you will stand up for yourself more, you know, like there's things like um, I, um, a few months back, I had these guys, I was on the train and this is obviously during COVID and um, just these like 18 to 20 year olds were like throwing stuff at me on the train and like old me would have just like literally slinked off and just, you know, tried to avoid any form of confrontation. But me at that time, I just kind of was just like, right, I'm, I can't just sit here and just sit. So I just stood up and I was just like, what the hell are you doing? Like, what is going through your heads right now? Said something to them and then, then moved myself out of that situation because I wasn't stupid enough to sit there any longer. But yeah, so like, I don't think free licorice me would have had even, wouldn't have said anything. I would have just walked away. So I feel like I've kind of built something up. I don't, I don't know if that's a small explanation of how it's built a confidence to do more publicly things. Ah, uh, 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 trailer thought's gone off. <laughs> I, I'm kind of with you. I think, um, I think with drag, and, and still actually, there is a, a separation. So when I'm in drag, there's something that kind of clicks and changes where I can be 100% articulate, 100% confident in what I'm doing in in speaking up in talking and things whereas when I'm not in drag like even now on zoom or, or when I'm doing like a zoom class or something I can kind of feel like this like a, an, an anxiousness or a kind of shyness or a uh, sometimes I won't be as vocal as I am in drag but I think it's also also Anna does bring out that kind of side of me and there are aspects that last year I'm kind of going it's okay to have, you know, a, like a, I kind of had this thing where I was like, as a boy, I'm very like, I wear colours that aren't, you know, very bright or, or whatever. And it's okay to have that crossover and it's okay to have that separation and it's okay to have aspects of yourself that, that can be quieter or more vocal or can be angry or can be upset. And uh, it's okay to have those kind of different aspects of yourself. Whereas I was kind of struggling last year with having you know all of this thing with drag but then when all of that's taken away you, you're kind of left with the other stuff that you're not necessarily as comfortable with but it's kind of you know today I'm wearing all kind of bright pink and things and it's having those crossovers and understanding that your personality is very complex and that you've got all of these different aspects to yourself and not all of it has to be out there not all of it has to be a certain thing or a sorry I'm babbling now <laughs> but it, yeah I've kind of had a, a bit of a journey just with how Covid and things has affected drag and life and and things so I'm kind of getting more comfortable with those aspects of myself I don't know if that's answered your question sorry no. I'm just getting all of my stuff out to you now see I'm going deep <laughs> did was Covid for you Anna was Covid a way of you having to investigate those things within your life because I felt that I've had to really like not soul search, that's 
not the word, but like really actually just um, to kind of deal with those things head on and just be like, right, they're there. You have to just think about them and not let them just be pushed back. Yeah, I think definitely, because it's, it's something that's out of your control. So we, we're all of a kind of sudden there. And then, you know, it's, it, it's those things that drag does. And when you're able to do those in public, that can kind of have a whole effect. Whereas not being able to do that, you're kind of having to deal with other things that... Um, and I think actually, sorry, that's what I wanted to say. Drag, uh, you know, be, before doing drag, I'd bury, I'd hold on to things and kind of bury things that that have happened to me in my life away. Whereas drag was a way for me to kind of talk about some of those things, not necessarily openly, but to put put it through my art and put it through things that I've created and numbers that I've done in the past um, has been a way of me connecting to those things and 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 getting those things out because I, I, I'm very I think uh, and I think I get this from my dad um one of those people that things can happen and then I kind of bury things away and I kind of hold on to them and drag for me um kind of helped me get some of some of that stuff out as well so I, I think it's like I, I learn about myself constantly through through the drag that I'm doing I don't think I don't think you ever stop because you're constantly working things out and learning things about yourself with what you're creating and what you're doing I, I think Anna is absolutely right um you can you can save that Anna if you want and just oh thank out. you <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna play that in the lab all the time <laughs> I, no I do and I, I think that idea that it is a never-ending process and so for me, absolutely has brought amazing things in my life. And there's been dips along the road. It's a very roller coaster like. Um, as a form of self-exploration, drag is quite a potent, powerful and dangerous form of magic, if you like. You know what I mean? It has that, um, that potential to be very, um, uh, to push you forward in really, really exciting ways, but also to create dips, right? Um, and what I've probably learned is that I'm not done yet. As it, as it is of, I'm not, I'm not, I've still got things to sort out in myself and it makes me see those things and makes me appreciate those things and potentially gives me ways to work through them, muddle through them uh, and actually, because it's a social art, right? You know, you can, you can identify the drag and the, the, the visual and the performance side of drag, but the real artistry comes in, in being social and finding ways to connect with people and using that spectacle to kind of make connections, whether it be through a piece of live performance you're doing on stage or whether it be through that interaction at the bar or whether it be through the social media engagement you're doing. It's a real social art. So you're forced very much to confront how you relate to other human beings. And it becomes an almost uh, a, a playground for relating to human beings in really big and exciting ways. So I think it can be very formative of you. Um, yet at the same time, can be very confusing and come with some some drawbacks but yeah i just feel like what i learned i've learned that the stuff that i need and i think prior to doing drag i told myself that i didn't need anything and i think drag's really continuing to teach me that there's something else that i need that i'm not getting when you first started did you 
think it would lead to this level of self-exploration. For me, <laughs> I didn't, I, I totally stumbled into drag. Like, um, I was at art, art university and I stumbled into just, it was an accident. It totally was an accident, but it was a happy accident, I guess. Uh, I mean, f for me again, <laughs> like it, it was, it, it was um, it just by chance. So it was kind of, uh, I got offered a job to create a character. But I think in my life, I've always kind of enjoyed dressing up whenever I've had the opportunity or the chance. And I got told off at drama school because um, I said that one of my favourite things about a, a role that I had was that I got to be in makeup for 42 minutes and uh, got to wear all of these amazing kind of Vivian Westwood clothes and, uh, and stuff. And he was like, but there's so much more to it than that. And I was like, actually, for me, I don't think there is. <laughs> I just quite like I quite like all of that and that the way it transforms you because for me I think you know a costume you know it changes the way you walk the way you hold yourself and um then I then I got given this opportunity to create my own thing my own character my own creation and it was supposed to be for a couple of nights and then it kind of snowballed and then it just became my my kind of career um uh so I didn't ever kind of set out with something, but having that opportunity to kind of play and to dress myself how I wanted and to explore with makeup and, and do things then became a real thing that I completely invested in and spent all my money on and, and just lived all of the fantasies and things that I could possibly. And then it, it did become a kind of self-exploration thing. But the, at the start, it was a complete chance, fluke opportunity that then I grabbed with both hands. How did you, Cheddar, how did you start? I, I do not like, I, 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 did, I did. I was doing little bits and bobs, not work-wise. I was doing little bits and bobs. And then I used to dress up with every opportunity I could get. And not, not drag necessarily, but I used to dress in some way. And I actually knew Anna from uh, when we used to work uh, essential together and, and um, when Anna was Daniel behind the bar um, and also used to dress up at every single opportunity. And I think it was through Tilly, wasn't it? So Tilly said, oh, um, Anna might be looking for another host to come and do the odd night with her. And so the first time I worked in drag was with Anna. I'd done little bits though. I'd been, I'd been playing around since 2010. Yeah, I remember, because you had a very different yeah. drag um, persona when because I, I moved away to Wales and then I came back and I remember meeting you on Canal Street um, and you were skipping down the roads with a little okay. basket. Um, and I was like, oh my God, it's you! Because um, cause I, I knew uh, Cheddar um, when Cheddar was a photographer at the, at the nightclub. And I, I remember going, like, you're my kind of person because Cheddar was dressed as the Riddler. Uh, and I was dressed as um, like they had like a superhero night, but we both like went full out. And I remember thinking she made an effort with that outfit. We went all um, out because I, I went. Um, yeah, it was serious. <laughs> it was. We serious. had lines. Yeah, you know what I mean. Not those lines. We had like script. <laughs> to sort of wrap up a little bit because I'm conscious I don't want to make Cheddar late for his next call, but. Like moving into 2021, things are looking semi-hopeful. I don't want to jinx anything, but we've got 
Biden's inauguration tomorrow, the vaccine is starting to be rolled out, it does look like things are starting to improve slightly. Um, so what to sort of end on, what would sort of be one thing you'd want people to bring into this year? Or one like tidbit of advice? A bit similar to what Anna said before, to steal off Yano, is then don't put too much pressure on yourself. You know, uh, try and keep creative and try and try and just keep moving, try and um, produce what you can produce. If, if this, it's not, this is if you're a creative person, um, just try and keep doing what you do and don't put, don't put too much pressure on yourself to try and keep up with the rest of the world because they're moving at a different pace than we are right now. We're being a bit left behind, so it's, it will all be okay, hopefully. Bit of faith. <laughs> a bit of faith. Um, I, think, I think for me, like um, as rubbish as the whole situation is, I, I think what it has done is, is it's kind of made us appreciate, appreciate things a lot more and appreciate the smaller things a lot more and connect with people, even though we can't face-to-face -face connect, connecting and finding ways of connecting with people a lot more. So I know myself, I've talked with my family a lot more um, and, and kind of talked to people that I haven't spoken to for, for, for a while, kind of reconnected with people. And I think in the life before COVID, like it was very easy to kind of fall into the the, the trap of being being as productive as possible and taking all the jobs you can as possible. And I, I certainly found myself stressed a lot of the time and running from gig to gig. And like Licorice was saying, my creative process at the lab was sometimes running into to doing a, a gig and kind of trying to assemble something within, a, you know, a, an hour or something before going to a gig because I didn't have the time. I, I never had the time. Uh, and for me, I think something that I'd want to to take it into life, hopefully after COVID is over and we can get back out there, is to kind of just slow down a little bit and kind of uh, appreciate things and stuff and uh, uh, and live life a bit more than kind of stressing myself out and feeling that I need to kind of jump from one thing to one thing to one thing. Yeah. That's my advice. I would say patience, <laughs> particularly when it comes to your own mental health, um, and really bearing in mind that it's not about you. And I think that's, that's in both the practical sense of why we're doing this, but also it takes the pressure off a little bit. It takes the pressure that actually it's not down to you to have to be working all the time or having to sort stuff out or, you know, um, maybe I'm just saying what I, what I think I need to bear in mind for moving forward, not necessarily what I think other people need to bear in mind. Um, but it's general, general, general and specific. Well, and who'd have thought it, a drag queen telling you that it's not all about them. It was painful. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all so much for taking the time to talk to you today. I really, really appreciate it. Do you want to share your social medias as well? So. Oh God, I haven't even thought follow. about that. <coughs> what am I? What am I? Um, I think I'm anaphylactic one on uh, Instagram. Am I? Anaphylactic one on Instagram. So go check me out. I'm dead visual and fun and cool. 
<laughs> I'm on Twitter as well, but I don't really say a lot. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm Cheddar, Cheddar underscore Gorgeous, and I'm on Instagram. You can also find me on Twitter um, and probably just about everywhere else. And I'm angry and fatigued. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your new handle? Angry and fatigued. I, I can't decide whether whether if I have a podcast, it's going to be called Angry and Fatigued or Go Deep or Go Home. One of the two. I like Go Deep or Go Home. Right. That, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. Go Deep or Go Home. Um, mine is um, Instagram licorice underscore black, and my Twitter is it's underscore licorice because somebody took mine. <laughs> but. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank it's you. lovely to meet you. We hope we haven't confused you too much. Best no. of luck. <laughs>